Today is Palm Sunday. I was considering even the verse that we read, the, the psalm that we read this morning where you had the cry of Jesus. It just, it seemed to fit um, right now with the, with the problems that we're having with the COVID virus response. <coughs> and the, what, I, what I wanted to share today was a, what is a response for us that we can have in during the COVID virus times, and this is a this is a um, you know when you look back and you see at all that has happened throughout the ages, and you look at the this this week being Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. This is Holy Week. This has been a week that has changed the world. This the the power of the resurrection has gone out from here into all the places of the world. It has reached in so many places. There's influence going out and and change and transformation happening because of the events that we celebrate during this week, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as we're looking at the COVID-19 response and we see that the world is changing, one of the the questions that we have, one of the the response is, is just a question of how are we supposed to respond? How are we as believers supposed to respond in this time? I am not going to be able to tell you exactly how you should respond. I'm going to share some things with you that hopefully will help you in your response, not just to COVID-19, but to everything that you're encountering. For instance, I am not a doctor, and so I don't have, I cannot make medical statements. I am not a governor, a, an executive power of some kind, so I'm not here to make laws and legislate or any of those things. I don't have those or, or political statements. But I am a storyteller, and I am a pastor. And as a storyteller, I look at things that have happened in history, and I repeat it, and I think about how does that apply to us today. And as a pastor, I care about people, and I want to instruct people in the ways of God and in how we can live the life that God intended for us. He's our creator. He didn't make us by accident. He didn't make us and say, oh, I don't really need this. He actually has a purpose. He actually has a plan. There's something he wants to do through each of us. And so that's where I'm going to be coming from this morning is just talking a little bit uh, from the perspective of a, of a storyteller who learns from history and a pastor who cares about people and the direction that we're going. The world is always changing. Sometimes we actually get to see it. And right now, we can look around and we can see something changing. We don't actually know how it's changing or what it's going to be changing to or what it's going to feel like later or what it's going to look like later, but it's changing. Something is changing. And as the change is happening, we are here as believers and we don't want to be going, oh, I, I, I see that I was wrong. We, we want to make sure that we're actually responding in time with the events that are happening around us. So how should believers respond in the middle of a, of a crisis response. And, and I've said this before, and, 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 and I, when I'm looking at people around me, and this is me speaking as a pastor, I see people that are either in the crisis because of a virus, and, and the virus itself is causing concern and anxiety, or there is, they're in the middle of the response and the response to other people's illness is impacting them. 
Sometimes you even have people who have other illnesses that cannot be seen right now because of the COVID-19 response. And so there's, there, is a, there's, there are financial implications, there's medical implications, there's social implications, there's, there's all kinds of implications because of the response that is happening across our land. And most of that response is way out of your control. You can't control it. I can't control it. I have thoughts about it. I see people on social media all the time sharing their thoughts about it. There's lots of thoughts about there about what's happening. And again, when I see what's happening out there, um, you know, there, there, is a, there is a conspiracy theory to explain every event. And then there is what's actually happening. And so what I am after this morning as we talk about a believer's response is we come from a place of knowing that there is a God in heaven who actually knows what's going on. He not only knows what people are saying, what people are writing, he knows the intents of the heart. He, he can see where the enemy is at work. He can see where people are in fa- panic and fear and are responding. He can see where faith is. He knows where he's at work. And believe me, God is at work. He's at work everywhere. He is at work in our families, in our lives right now during the response to COVID-19 that has gone around the world. And so I'm not here to make a medical statement about the virus. I'm not here to make a political statement about how we should respond. But I am here to say that you and I as believers need to have a reasoned response that does not involve fear or panic. We need to have a reasoned response that allows us to walk in faith. So how am I responding? Well, this is part of what I want to share with you is the way I am responding to this virus can instruct you and perhaps how you could be responding to the virus. In Matthew chapter 12, in verse 40, I want to read something from here. And this is actually serving as an introduction. I know it's Palm Sunday, but this is serving as an introduction to the book of Jonah that I want to look at in the next couple of weeks. So in Matthew Matthew chapter 12, Uh, Actually, starting in verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So I just want to take a moment to pray um, as we look at the rest of this. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have given us word from times past. You've given us glimpses into how you respond and how you act. And so we just want to hear from you this morning, and I just pray for everyone that's listening. I pray for Living Water Fellowship. Pray for all your believers up and down the front range here in Colorado. I pray for the church across America, the church around the world, and I pray, Father, would you strengthen us and help us to be strong and to respond in a Christ-like way. And for all of those that are here and listening to this, I just pray, Father, that the words that we're, I'm about to share and the scripture we're going to read, that it would impact our hearts and that we would be strengthened and encouraged to walk in faith and not in fear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And so the, 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 the beginning of this passage that I just read has the scribes and the Pharisees coming and saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. They're looking for a sign. And so I'm thinking about us and I'm thinking about our times. I'm thinking about a, a, a response to a virus. I'm thinking about a pandemic and I'm thinking about what we are looking for. And one of the things that we are looking for is we're looking for someone to tell us what to do. We're looking for a sign. We, what the what the scribes and Pharisees were saying to Jesus is, we want to know whether you are the Messiah or whether you're not the Messiah. We want to know this. We want to know, uh, so give us a sign. And so what they could have done is what other people were doing. They could have looked at scripture. They could have looked at Jesus. They could have quietly wandered and watched and said, he's fulfilling the prophecies. He's fulfilling the prophecies. And they could have slowly felt belief welling up within them. And they could have been responding to what Christ was doing and saying. But instead they just said, let's shortcut, give us a sign. Just tell it to us straight. Now, if he told it to them straight, they would have called it blasphemy. They would not have listened. They would not have been able to handle it. And so Jesus says, I'm going to give you one sign. I'm going to give you this sign of Jonah. And so I'm thinking, well, what is the sign of Jonah? And in the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping to be able to understand more fully, what is the sign of Jonah for us as a people? How does it apply? Because the way he applies it is, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, and so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And it's possible that all that Jesus is saying is that there were there, there, there's three days there and there's three days here, which by the way, if you're keeping track of things and you look at this, uh, the, the Palm Sunday to Easter week, the Holy Week, um, three days and three nights, you can make a very strong argument that Jesus was crucified on Thursday instead of Friday. I'm just throwing that out there. It's free. It's not part of this message this morning, but I just have to mention it because this part of the church is going, wait a minute, why are we celebrating on Friday when it says three days and three nights? And this is where Jesus says it, three days and three nights. And so, so there's something to be said about this. And so I just wanted to mention that. I'm not actually going to solve the question or talk about it. Sorry, that's a very Graber thing to do. Um, just throw it out there. So now back to what I actually am talking about. I am talking about Jonah and I don't know whether it's just coincidence that Jesus says three days, three nights, or whether there is something really, really significant in this. And so I want to look at this and say, well, what is the sign that they were looking for? He gives them this other sign. What is the sign we are looking for? And is God giving us another sign? Is he giving us a different sign? Are we, and and this, is where, this is why I say this. If you are looking for a sign, if you're looking for someone to rescue you, if you're looking for someone to come on the national scene and speak words that are so wise and so true or to do some activity that is so clearly right and so convincing of everyone, you will probably be disappointed. Because right now, on, even on my social media, my friends that I have, there are a lot of people that are looking to government. They're waiting on government for a sign. Uh, some of them are looking to church leaders and churches for a sign. And they're waiting, and, and this is what's happening. If government is your answer, and there's quite a few people that on my social media right now who seem to think that government is the answer in some way. And so if that's what you're expecting and you're looking for, then you're looking at, for instance, our president or our governor, and you're, you are either thinking, wow, he is our savior, or man, he is Satan himself. And th these both are on my social media right now. There are people that are saying, I'm so glad that Trump is in the White House. I'm so glad he's there. He's handling it so well. 
And then over here, I have people saying, I just wish we had a real man in the White House. We've got this horrible, and it just goes on from there. And so if you're looking to government for your answer, then you're having to look at each person, and you're either deciding, is this our answer or is he not? And historically speaking, you have, you have always had this option when it comes to government leaders. If you're looking to them and you're expecting them to save you and you're expecting them to instruct you and them to protect you and them to provide for you and them to give to you everything, you will always have a savior or a Satan. And most of the time, if all the people in a nation give all the power in that nation to one person, it turns into a Satan really fast. So I'm going to say, say that I don't think we want this as the solution. I don't think we want to look to to the government as a solution to our problem. And so the first response that I'm wanting to give you as a believer is don't look to the government for answers. You can respect them, you can honor them, you can submit to them, but don't look to the government as your savior or as the final answer or as the thing that is going to make it all better. If you do, you will be sadly disappointed because people fall, people fail. Governments fall, governments fail. Do not put your trust in a man-made organization. We want to put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. So that's my first part of the response is don't put your trust in government. And so then I'm, I'm looking at what's going on around here and here's the problem. There is so much information swirling right now. I can go online, I can do a quick search and one word can make it to where I get this horrific report of how horrible the pandemic is. If I change that one word and do a different search, I can find um, there's a cover-up. This is not really bad at all. And so what I'm, there is enough information swirling out there that there is evidence for anything that you want to believe. So if you come into the pandemic and this response time and you already believe that government is overreaching and is, is, is too socialistic, then you will say, aha, look, I have all this evidence right here. If you come in and you say, you know what, uh, our, our medicals, whatever you want to believe, you can find it on the internet. There's words out there for you. There is evidence for what you're looking for but we're calling it a pandemic. And the storyteller, the historian within me says, if this is a pandemic, then we need to see dead bodies. Because historically speaking, pandemic means dead bodies on the street, people dying so fast that other people cannot bury them fast enough. That's what a pandemic is. And so the storyteller in me says, hold on just a second, we're doing something odd. This is not a pandemic. We're calling something a pandemic that historically is not a pandemic. That's the storyteller in me. And so then the pastor in me looks at that and says, why are we doing that? And, and the pastor says, people are being afraid. And then I say, wait a minute, fear is not of God. Perfect love casts out fear. We're supposed to walk in faith, not in fear. This is not right. And so part of my response is to say, I do not want to participate in mass hysteria. I do not want to participate in the panic and the fear that's being sent at you. And so part of my response is do not listen to the media. The media is not being full of the Holy Spirit right now. The media is not being full of the word of God right now. Psalm 1 says, meditate on the things, of, on the word of God. It says, do not stand in the path of the ungodly nor sit in the seat of the scornful or walk in the, I'm messing it up now. Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly nor sit in this nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. And that counsel of the ungodly that you will hear 24-7 on our news media right now is not inspired by God. 
There might be here and there a reporter or one person who is listening, but it's hard to find them. And as a whole, they are listening to the lies of Satan and they're responding accordingly. And it's not okay. It's not okay to feed fear. It's not okay to try to make other people be afraid. Fear is, one, is a gift that God has given us to be used for a few seconds, a few moments, at the most a day or two. But it's supposed to look like this. I'm walking through the woods. Suddenly right there in front of me, I see a rattlesnake coiled up. My flight or uh, my fight or flight response says, there is a snake. I know that's dangerous and I'm afraid and I jump and I run away. And then 20 seconds later, I'm no longer afraid because I have now put distance between myself and that which was going to hurt me. That is the proper place for fear. It is a God-given gift that protects us. But at any time that you're finding fear levels growing and growing and growing and continuing to grow and they're constant, something is wrong. That is not right. That is not part. So this is part of my pandemic response is to say fear is not right. You can have a moment of it to protect yourself. You can have a brief time of terror. That is one thing. But it's not okay to be constantly running in fear. And so historically speaking, we have seen that confusion comes from the enemy and clarity comes from God. So if you're living with confusion, there's lies you're believing. If there's confusion in your life right now and you're looking around going, I just don't know, I just don't know, there's something in here that is a lie. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to come up with such clarity that you go out and become an anarchist and try to overthrow a government or something. I'm not suggesting that. But I am saying this, that in the quiet of your own home, where you're sitting this morning, there needs to be peace in your heart. When you hug your children, there needs to be peace in your heart and love in your heart to be passed on to them. You should not be having to respond in fear. And so a sign, a clear sign, what sign is it that God gives us? The sign of Jonah. And so what I find looking at the sign of Jonah is that we have a, the, 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 the three days and three nights that Jonah spent in the belly of the great fish, those three days and three nights, those were that we have Jonah, who is a man of God, who knows God, who actually gives other prophecies that are fulfilled in, in other places, and we see him being a prophet, speaking the word of God, and then God comes to him and says, I have a message that I want you to deliver, and he looks at the circumstances around him and says, I do not want to deliver this message right now. I cannot deliver this message right now. Do you know who these Assyrians are? And he instead runs away, and God puts him into the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights. And so I, I, I stopped and looked at scripture and said, okay, three days, three nights, what's here? The sign of Jonah. Jonah was three days, three nights in the belly of the fish. Jesus was three days in the grave. Paul, when he was still, right at the time when he, when he was persecuting the Christians, he went three days without sight. All of these, these three that I mentioned, that I found in the scripture, all three of these were messengers and they were on a mission and they were either unwilling or they were willing. So I want to just look at these three for a moment and to see if there's something in here that can help us with our response. Jonah was an unwilling messenger. If you look in Jonah 1.7, Jonah says in Jonah 1.7, and they said to one another, 
uh, come and let us cast lots that we may know what the co- whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. I'm sorry, I'm jumping right in the middle here and somehow it's not, I have the wrong... I guess I had written down Jonah 1.17 where it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So at the, that's the, at the end of chapter 1. And so what we had seen at the beginning of chapter 1, and I just want to make a few thoughts about this. If you think of Jonah as a messenger, if you think of him as a believer in our situation, if you think of him as someone who is um, responding in our time, you would see someone who is a believer but he doesn't want anyone to know about it. He is running to people that he thinks don't know who he is, and he is not talking to them. If you had someone who cared about the message of God, because I think when Jonah gets to Nineveh finally and he preaches, it seems to me that he's giving the warning, but he's not giving the promise. God honors the promise. The warning is, if you don't repent, there will be destruction. Jonah doesn't give the if, he just says, there will be destruction. And then he's so bent out of shape when God actually doesn't bring destruction, but instead brings repentance. So Jonah is sent with a message that should say something along this line, on your current path that you're headed on, Nineveh, you're headed to destruction. If you will repent and cry out to God, he will have mercy on you. Because when they did repent and cried out to God, God had mercy on them for another hundred years or more. There was a time of great peace that happened. And so there is a, and, and I want to look at that timeline at a later time. This morning, I'm just looking at the overall pictures of what, what God is doing. And so here we have Jonah. And, it, and I just think of some of the people I know. If they would have been on their way down to Tarshish, then the people at the boat docks would have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The people at the ticketing office would have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the sailors on the boat would have heard the gospel. Everywhere that they went, they would have heard the gospel. I know some people who are fishers like this, where they're always, everywhere they go, they just find a natural way to share the gospel. Jonah was not like that. Jonah was saying, I don't want this message. I don't like this message. I don't want to go. So if you look at, at Jonah, he's an unwilling messenger. His audience is Assyria, uh, specifically Nineveh, but uh, the, the capital of Assyria. And Assyria is the enemies of Israel. They have already, if, if you want to think of, if you want to have an, an idea of what the Assyrians were like, think in our day and age, we would call them terrorists. The way they fought was they were terrorists. The way they interacted with the countries that they controlled, they were horrible. And so Jonah knowing all of this from the past and suspecting even more now, says, I do not want that audience to ever be saved. I don't want to take the message to them. And so then Jonah is running from God. But when he finally gets there, because he is stopped and put for three days and three nights in the great fish and he has to stop everything, and he's not able to do anything that he normally does. And he's just sitting there. And as he's sitting there, he's thinking. And as he's thinking, he finally comes to the point where he prays, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. And he cries out to God. And God hears him. And then God brings him back. And he sends him away on his message. And he goes and he preaches. And Nineveh repents. There's a time of peace that it's ushered in. Then you have Paul. He is not so much an unwilling messenger. He's very zealous. And so I'm going to call him more of a shell-shocked messenger. There, there had to have been a lot of Paul's life where he had to stop and say, what in the world am I doing? Because he started his life so zealous for God, so zealous for scripture, so zealous for the Jewish way. His audience that he was being called to was the way. It was 
believers. It was Christians. He didn't know that they were his audience. He thought they were his enemies. He was intent on destroying his audience. Jonah just didn't want to talk to him. Paul wants to destroy them. He is trying to destroy the, the enemy, which is actually his audience. And what's annoying about his audience is that their fighting style is love to the death. They will love you no matter what. What's annoying about them is that it, they grow in secret and they just have to, there's just contact and it just keeps growing. People share the word of God, others believe, and it's so annoying. And he is so zealous, he's going to go stop this. He's serving God. And so he's not an unwilling messenger. He's willingly going out, but he's mistaken. He has the wrong message. And so suddenly the light from heaven comes, the voice from heaven, and for three days, Paul is without sight. And for those three days that he's without sight, he is having to go through something that Jonah went through, but slightly different. He is going, and the message that comes out of Paul's life after those three days is that he helps pave the way for peace on earth in our hearts. See, Paul brought, I mean, Jonah brought some peace to Nineveh and to Assyria politically. Paul ends up not just having to go preach to his audience, he becomes one of us. He becomes one of us and takes the gospel. And then because of his preaching, we find you and I, um, and, and as a Gentile, I am very grateful that Paul was sent and that he spoke the message so clearly so that I can clearly see that the promises of God coming and rescuing Israel that God was opening that up and saying, I am here and the death of Christ is for everyone. And I, even I, could respond to that. And I'm so grateful. That was Paul's message. But then you look at Jesus. Jesus, he is the willing messenger. He is not shell-shocked. He is not an unwilling messenger. Jesus is completely different. And his whole audience that he's supposed, that he's taking the message to is the world. It's the entire world. And so if you think of verses like John 3, 16, where it says, for God so loved the world, and you, see, and you see this picture of who Jesus is, Jesus knew every horrible thing about his audience. Paul thought he knew how wicked the Christians were. He believed lies about them. Jonah was convinced historically how bad the Assyrians were and why he didn't want to go there. Jesus didn't just think he knew, Jesus actually knew how bad the audience was. And what's even worse about him is that he loved them even when, they, when he knew everything about them and he lets his audience kill him. The other speakers, the other messengers either want to kill their audience or want them to die, but Jesus says, I'm gonna come to you, my audience, and I'm gonna let you kill me. And that's part of his message and he becomes the way of peace and hope. He doesn't just usher in a season of peace. He becomes the way of peace. He becomes the way of hope. So we have these three messengers, each of them for three days, one in the fish, one in the earth, one in the dark. Three days of isolation, and it's pivotal in the power of the message that is about to be shared. Something about Jonah, that when he was in the belly of the fish, he submitted to God even though we still see him as an unwilling messenger after all these years, he submitted to God on a different level because if God can send a great fish to swallow him and spit him out on dry land, he's going to obey God. 
He's going to complain about it and be grumpy about it, but he's going to obey. And then you have Paul, who is convinced that the way before him is wrong, but he is struck with light and is three days blind. And in that three days, when he comes out of that, he says, everything I've been saying was wrong and the way is right. The believers are right. Christianity is right. Completely changed him. Very pivotal times. And so uh, for you and I, as believers, I'm wanting to say, well, what should our response be? Well, it is possible that you and I are needing to respond because of the virus and realize that we are messengers because this is part of what God has sent out is that there is a, that we are messengers that are being sent out for the gospel. And so the, the world is changing. It's always been changing since the beginning. The world has been changing. The enemy always wants to use the changes to destroy life. God brings life. God transforms anything, everything. He can do this. So what is a proper response for the, for the coronavirus, for this crisis? So I think these are some of the lessons that we can take from the messengers. Jonah was afraid because of political things. And he was unwilling to preach the good news and the judgment. Paul was, because of his religious training, he was blinded to what God was actually doing. Jesus cuts through the noise of man's brokenness and embraces his mission. If you look in John chapter 12, verse 27, he says, uh, there's a a moment here that clearly explains how Jesus is responding differently. John 12, verse 27 says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He asked the question. He's asking, how should I respond in this moment? And he says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So I'm going to say that this is part of our response as believers, as having the spirit of Christ in us. We need to say with Jesus, I don't, Father, could you, can you take me out of this hour? And then we stop and say, actually, Lord, you brought me here for this hour. And I am for this purpose I'm here, Father, glorify your name. And so I wanted to look at one account here um, of Jesus, and I want to give you a thought of uh, one more aspect of the response. Back in John chapter 11, there is an account where Lazarus is sick, and they send a messenger after Jesus to say, Jesus, can you come? Lazarus is sick. And as he comes, He delays. He doesn't just rush back and heal Lazarus. He delays. And there's other reasons involved, but in verse 14, John 11, verse 14, then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So in this moment, Jesus says something, and I just, you know, I was thinking about this. If you were on, if you were friends with Jesus on social media right now, and, and he said, the COVID virus is killing people, and I am glad, would you unfriend him? Would you block him? What would you do with him? Because this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. And so if you know the rest of the account, he shows up, he uh, 
he has this conversation with Martha and they're talking about uh, Lazarus rising again on the last day and Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, you, the son of God who has come into the world. And she stops with a very simple belief statement. She's not trying to understand now what's happening with Lazarus and the resurrection. But I think there is something that's going on here that we need to be shocked just a little bit because the brokenness is in the world and it's always been here. And you and I can look at the brokenness that's in the world and for political reasons or for religious reasons or for just plain old fear and pandemic reasons, we can be so running scared that we do not hear the word that God is speaking to us. Paul had no idea that God actually wanted him to preach this gospel and he wasn't taking the time to ask God either. There was no time leading up to that Damascus Road experience where Paul said, Heavenly Father, do you want me to go join them and preach their message? Not in his mind at all. When Jonah was sitting at home hating the Assyrians for political reasons and because of what they'd done to him, Jonah wasn't walking around going, I wonder if I should go preach to Nineveh. It wasn't one of the things he was thinking about. It wasn't even close. But when the word came and he heard it, the response, what is the response? Jesus, he was sitting in eternity and he's looking at the brokenness of the world and he said, I'm going to go. And the response was different. And so part of our response as believers needs to be on purpose to don't wait for the great fish to swallow you. Don't wait for the enforced blindness and quietness, but ask the question, Father, you told me to go into all the world and make disciples of all people. What is your message to the people around me right now? What do you have for me to do? And we ask that question. And what, one of the things that happens is that here is, here is Jesus and he's looking at Lazarus and he says, Lazarus is dead and I am glad for your sakes. And what he meant was because now I'm going to go with you and you're going to walk with me and together we're going to come in and I'm going to show you something to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to show you something big. And I'm going to show you something beautiful that if we had rushed to heal Lazarus, you would have missed this. He doesn't explain it all in that many words, but that's what he's saying. And so part of our response is to don't rush to heal Lazarus. Don't run and say, we've got to fix every problem. Because the reality is that ever since sin and death entered the world, sickness has been here. There has been brokenness. There has been sickness. There has been sadness. It's always been here. And you will never be able to heal everyone's wounds. You will never be able to fix everyone's problems. You need to calm down and listen. What is the Father saying to you? Walk with your Savior in gladness. You too can say with him, the virus is here, the pandemic is here, the response is here, and I am glad and not mean that you're glad that people are dying. You don't mean that you're glad that people are suffering, that you're glad. You're saying, I already know that there's brokenness here, but I am glad because I'm walking with my Savior and I'm about to see God be glorified and I'm about to see what he's going to do. So don't run away from your mission because of, of the pandemic. 
Make sure that you're listening. Practice his presence. Don't be someone else. There's a signboard just down the road here from the Disney movie um, Stargirl and it says, you be you. That's what it says. And I almost agree with this. I agree with you be who the creator of the universe made you to be. That's where I stand with it. You do your part. Don't try to be someone else. This is true. Practice his presence. Hear what he has to say. Listen, be quick to obey. Be quick to be who he has called you to be. Do not be afraid. Fear empowers the enemy and confusion. Choose faith. Listen to your God. Choose faith. Choose love over panic. Faith over fear. Each of our responses are and should be different. Your response is different than my response, but all together are responding in faith. All together, we together are one body in Christ. All together, one Lord serving one Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's let Christ be glorified in us and let's not hesitate to continue in obedience, and to continue in joy, to continue in hope, to continue in faith, but don't wait for the, the sign of Jonah where you're forcefully silenced until you can hear the voice of God. Choose now to listen to the voice of God. Paul was one of those that would have said, hey, give us a sign, Jesus. He was with that crowd. And Jesus eventually gave him a sign and stopped him, completely changed his life. We can choose willingly to listen and to respond. We don't have to wait. So what I would like to do for us this morning as we close here is I would like for us to all together pray this prayer. Pray with me. Almighty and everlasting God, who in your tender love toward the human race sent your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon him our flesh and to suffer death upon the cross. Grant that we may follow the example of his patience and humility and also be made partakers of his resurrection through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever, amen. Amen. Let us be obedient and quick to listen. That is our response. So I, I don't know what your response exactly needs to be, but I'm pretty sure that this creator of the universe is crying out to you, respond, listen to him, and walk in faith. May the Lord bless you.